Um, hello, I'm Jeff Levy. This is My Dog Brandy, a podcast about my dog Brandy, uh, uh, a case hound that I had while growing up in the Boston area and how much he meant to me as an only child and taught me incredible life lessons uh, and stories about that. And then guests that, um, uh, that are interesting, that I think will be interesting for you, that, um, uh, and the stories around their life and the pets that they have. So um, today I am so fortunate and so thankful uh, to have Tracy Hitchings. Um, you may remember that she was, uh, she's a progressive rock rock uh, star and uh, super happy to have you here. So thanks, Tracy, for, uh, for jumping on. It's uh, fairly, uh, I guess, early in the morning in Australia. So we appreciate it. It's not too bad, actually, here at the moment. It's about something like um, before 11 o'clock. So we're not too bad. Oh, before 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. Because oh, okay. when we're normally in the early hours, aren't we? <laughs> yes. When we, Tracy and I are in the same um, uh, podcasting training course run by London Real, and these calls are uh, late at night, like early morning for you, aren't they? Like, yeah, it's two forty-five in the morning. They start, so we're up oh. till the early hours. And <laughs> oh man, oh man, that's that's got to be rough. Um, so I'm going to start with um, uh, the fact that you have uh, a pet at home, and I would love to hear about. Um, about Dave, uh, <laughs> who, is, well, who is he? What type of what type of you know dog is he? And you know all of that would be great for you to share. Well, Dave is actually a humanoid. He's <laughs> <laughs> he's Dave is human, and and Dave is actually called Peter, but he he's just called Dave because. I had a great past life of many Daves, <laughs> and I just just cannot shift. You know, it's 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 just well, actually, if I do you want me to just get that story out of the way, actually, because it's actually why it's come about, why Peter's called Dave. Um, uh, years and years ago, somebody used to try to kill me with bows and arrows at the end of my road where I lived in Seaview Crescent, Cornwall, in England, and he was called Dave. And he knew I had a fear of going down the road because there was two quite um, rather sort of um, very loud guard dogs that used to uh, protect this place called Braganza. And so he knew I was going to be got by the dogs by being scared, but he loved also shooting his bows and arrows. So that's the first Dave. The second Dave was my brother-in-law that came into my life. So he played a big part. The third Dave was my songwriting um, musician friend, Dave. The fourth Dave was the first long-term boyfriend, Dave, for, for 12 years. And then after that 12 years, the next uh, boyfriend for 14 years was Dave. So we've got five Daves that are playing major roles in my life. And then the one after him was another Dave. The, no, that was that fifth Dave that was um, the second relationship Dave. Um, we moved from London. I was up in London by that time. We moved to Abingdon on Thames where we lived. And we, let, we moved next door to Dave. <laughs> and... Um, and then you know so all this was playing out and then one day we just decided to go horse riding because I hadn't been for a, a few years so off we went and um I got to the stables for the first time got on the horse and it was just so great to be back on a horse again and I thought you know what I know what the instructor's going to be called she's going to be called Dave but or, or actually she's a she so she's going to be called Davina or something like that and as it turned out it, she wasn't. She was called Pamela. So I thought, ah, oh, the spell's been broken. There you go. And I say, what's the name of the horse? She says, Dave. <laughs> and I look back at the stables and there on the stable doors is his little plaque, Dave. So I thought, 
That's why Peter's called Dave. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. It's Keep an ongoing, it. it's by accident, but I, I honestly think I'm calling him Babe because, no, you're saying Dave. It's, no, it's Babe, no. It's Dave. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, that's, that's great. Now, you've had um, an amazing career in progressive rock, and, um, uh, and we'll get into that, but I'm just curious, like, how did you, how did you even get into progressive rock, um, you know, even from the beginning? Gosh, yeah. Well, I'd decided at some point by the age of 23 that I was going to move to London and, you know, seek out the bright lights. And, you know, within six weeks, I would obviously be very famous, uh-huh. <laughs> as you do. <laughs> and um, it was, it was a, you know, it was an incredible uh, time, really. But it took me probably a couple of years to find my feet there, go through a few different bands and just stumble across a advertisement. And I thought, oh, this sounds really great. It really sounds like involvement. It really sounds more theatrical and it sounds like there's more to it. I got a little bit fed up of the pop music side of things that I was auditioning for. Mm. They, they seemed to be sort of um, not not for me at all. And they, they, it was very controlling and there wasn't any space for writing. And and I sent, anyway, I sent in some recordings of myself and it seemed to be quite clear what I was about. But when you went for those auditions, they were trying to get you to do things. And I thought, you know, something's not right. But anyway, so I answered this um, advert. And uh, this was in like the stage magazine that was quite famous around at that time and the New Musical Express. And that's where we would answer our ads if we're looking for work in the acting world or the singing world. And I just answered an advert and there was about 500 people that they'd been through. And um, I went there for the audition and I was asked back again, but I was asked to sing some of their songs, which were all these weird time signatures. And I thought it was amazing, but I thought, how am I going to learn that? And I just took to it so easily. I felt it. I've really felt it because it had music with it, so I could feel it. Mm. And uh, anyway, I went back for that um, that, uh, you know, to show them whether I could or couldn't do this stuff, about three or four songs I think I had to have a go at that were all completely different from each other. And, um, yeah, I just, I got, I got the audition. So that was a band called Quasar, and that was my first um, meeting into the music world and my first vinyl album. And, uh, yeah, so that's how I got into it. And that um, put me in a place called The Marquee in London, where all the big bands would go. And, um, and I got seen there by a band called Pendragon and got friendly with them. And it kind of just starts there, this big family kind of, you know, Know, starts growing and um, they start asking questions and and start doing gigs abroad with them and then work just started coming yeah so that's how it started oh that's so that was yeah that must have been about 1999 1998 1999 I think wow how, what what's you know you hear all these stories what's it like you know, what's it like to be in a band and tour? Is it like as crazy as as people say and as artists say? Like, what is it? You're you're you've got that experience. What what is that really like? There's a film out there, and I'll think of the name of it in a minute. Um, uh, but it's fantastic. It is it is a way of life, and 
it, there is pros that are fantastic and that will have its cons, but it is fantastic to do something that you deliberately want to do through um, that's artistic, that you're part of, that you're part of the writing or you want to be part of the writing and you're sort of honing in to be part of this whole thing in your creative way. And it is lovely. Um, it is great to go out on a stage. It's terrifying, but it's fantastic. So it's, um, it's very learning all the time it's constantly learning all the time and it but it is fantastic but it's tough as well you you're kind of on the road and you know you, you're eating hamburgers and things like that because you're not at the point where you're rich enough to have your chef on board to not cook that stuff which isn't good for the vocals and blah 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 so you've got all these different sides to it that are fun and fantastic but they also pay their other side you know um but I felt I felt like I had a great time during those early days was so exciting. They were really very exciting because it's all I ever wanted, you know, I really wanted to get into a band and how do I get into a great band? And I had a couple of years of kind of, you know, going in and out of things and trying to figure out who I was. And I decided that I'm rock. Yeah. I'm you rock. You wrote <laughs> songs as well. You just didn't sing you you wrote a lot of the songs yeah that that yeah I had that um experience at a very young age of 14 but that was the lyrics and the melodies and I obviously had a clean kind of pulling towards that because I've made recordings when I was very young and that was in that area I didn't really play musical instruments very well a bit of guitar um and I found like when I started working in a band called Landmark when I started to really write again um they really gave me that opportunity I said if I'm coming in I'm a writer that's the only way I'm coming in and um so that's why I really started to experiment much further on these really kind of difficult um, songs with difficult time signatures in them and I loved it mm. it was really expressive it you really had to work it you know uh sit down and really think it through and right. sit back and look at it and think about the different ways it could be you, you could look at it again and go in to create space in it because there were these huge pieces. So you could really fill out all the spaces and the listener would end up, which sometimes that did happen because that's prog rock. But I was always kind of thinking, how do I write great melodies, but find the spaces and find that soaring note at the right time. And yeah. Yeah. It, so it has to be in your DNA, right? It's, it's not something you can learn, yeah. is it? Or Oh, I think it is. I think you do learn it, but I do think you have to have that something there. That, that something's there because you don't last. You don't last, I don't think, if it's not there. But I definitely had to learn. It was definitely there, but I was raw. I was very raw material, you know, and I, and I had this big voice when I was a kid. And, you know, people would take me under the wing and train me. But you've got this great thing, but you're shouting, how, how, you know, so it's like how, how to control it and how to, how to bring the colour and, the, you know, how to bring the range out of it and how to bring the beauty out of it and not just kind of pin people's ears back all the time. And that took a long while. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so it was all great training ground. And I just worked with really great people. You know, I was very lucky. And you really played with people. some amazing stars, right? You uh, throughout your career of the prog world, yeah, yeah. absolutely, yeah. 
definitely. Um, had to, yeah, I, it, it, again, it was just effective word of mouth. I was just in this band called Quasar. Then you're showcased because of where you are. And then before you know it, you've got a double headliner out in Holland, which is the stomping ground for to start with. Before you sort of, it's like a, the, the springboard for everywhere else for the British rock anyway. Um, and it just, you know, I had a, one of the guys from one of the bands come up and say, hey, would you like to do an album with me of this? And that springboarded off and, hey, would you like to do uh, uh, this? And da, 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 da. But I mainly worked with a guy called Clive Nolan, who was a composer. Okay. And he worked with Oliver Waitman. And Oliver Waitman is the son of Rick Waitman from Yes. And so it springboards and it springboards and they all know each other. So so somehow through, through all of that and going out and gigging, I had somebody come up and said, hey, would you like to do one of my songs? I've got Steve Hackett coming on the album too. Well, yes, please. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> and I've, I never had to advertise. It was just, really? it was just there. It, no, well, it was advertising itself, I suppose, by virtue. And there wasn't other women at that time in prog rock, prog rock, really, that I was aware of or we knew much of. And if they were, it was a bit more quieter at that moment. So I sort of had my 15 minutes in the sun with, with it, you know. And, and Kate Bush, I don't know if you've heard of Kate Bush. Yeah. She's, she's very great to England. And she just wasn't doing any more live stuff. So I'm not saying that I filled any shoes there at all because she is beyond um, in, incredible. But it was just like there was a space there. So it, some liked it, some didn't. It took a moment to grow and some loved it, you know, because a woman in this area of rock, it's for men and it's very, um, you know, they, they like to dissect the music apart and pull it apart to see whether it's really worthy of itself and all that stuff. And I was determined to bring some sex into it. So, you know, and I mean that in the politest of manner because... Some of it to me sounded like music by numbers. And I thought, come on, it needs to breathe some life into it too. And I think that's why I came to love the band Heart, the American band Heart. And they had great early albums and they had that touch of Led Zeppelin and that, you know, real melody, strong melody, but they still had this area of progressiveness when they were first out, you know, to me anyway. Um, I mean, it's such an arguable area like jazz is, but... um, then when I discovered them, it was like, whoa, who are these? I want to be them. <laughs> <laughs> I like that, you know. Did you so, ever get to yeah. meet them, get to know them at all? Or? No, never did. It's always been something that I, I did want. I think now I'd be terrified now to meet Anna Nancy Wilson. But um, they're, they're just trailblazers. They're abs- and they're still there. You yes. know? Amazing. You still just hear amazing. their music on the radio, you know? Yes, absolutely. Um, they still yeah. Play. Yeah. Some of the recent stuff they've done with having all of Led Zeppelin watching on and doing the the big song. Um, You've got to to just check it out. They did a version and it was, I think it was in the Royal Albert Hall. Um, You know, the Stairway to Heaven. Oh, the version of recent times. Again, heart. They are just, for me, that was like, yes. that. that's what set my, stood me up and thought, whoa, I've got a lot to live up to. <laughs> did, did any of the band members take their pets with them at all? And uh, <laughs> did you see any of them, you know? You know, it's funny. Um, Steve didn't have a pet. Well, in Landmark, the band that I was mainly in, they didn't have, they didn't have pets, but that's the band that became my main band for 20 odd years. But Clive Nolan... At Castle Clive down in Surrey, he had cats. <laughs> he was a cat man. 
And he was a cat man that used to play with his cats. They loved, they were devoted to them and used to play big head and little head with the cats. <laughs> so little head is when you stroke the cat down like that and its head goes all flat, all its fluff. And big head is when you pull it back up. And big head and little head was played by every musician that came through there. The cats loved it. And uh, so these are animal lovers. They're all animal lovers. But there wasn't many dogs around in those early days. So I did kind of miss that. But I used to go out walking in the parks then when I lived in London to see the dogs there. But it was mainly later on when I got more back into the dogs, you know, which I absolutely adore dogs. Absolutely love them. So how did you get your fix with dogs back then? Was it just seeing them in the park or? Well, I got, I think, because I'm an animal lover, a horse lover, a fish dolphin lover. I I loved all animals, but I became to realise, even though I knew it when I was younger, I think the the more mature I got, I started to realise more about the soul of the dog was, to me, seemed so close to the human. Yes. In in such a loyal, the loyalty you know, yes. you can get loyal horses, loyal horses, but they can equally get buck you off. <laughs> yes. So I find out she used to go back, back bareback riding when I was a kid. But um, there's something about dogs. I know, of course, there can be the other side of dogs, the dangerous ones that are deliberately bred or they've been so badly treated that they're just protecting themselves. But um, there was, there's something that's come more and more and more and more and more to the fore about them but if I go right back when I was a kid I was allowed to walk my neighbor's dog because we weren't allowed to have we weren't allowed to have dogs we were allowed to have everything else but not dogs because dogs were very dependent Mm. and it was just something that that was decided but we had every other animal you know they didn't often last very long so (laughs) (laughs) because they they just were little animals you know like guinea pigs and budgies and you feed them you show them you groom them and they're fun and you still look after them but they didn't have the long life of a dog or the the I think the emotional needs that the dog would need that my mum I think she really understood that but I was allowed to walk my next door neighbour's dog and I loved that so I'd walk my next door neighbour's dog called Misty and I would take it all out all along the fields all along the waterfront and if it was a cold of winter I'd put my my scarf on her and walk her along and hope that everybody would look at her in the scarf because she was this lovely I think she was a um, not a border collie but a she was a collie or I'm trying to remember sorry I'm not very good with the breed names but she was gorgeous she had all this gorgeous hair and she adored me because she knew I'd be walking her she saw me it was pardon me you did it on a regular basis as well yeah whenever whenever I could I, I took Misty out and they they depended on me too but when I was getting a little older and starting to realize that my life was shifting I did go through a phase oh I don't know if I want to don't know if I want to walk Misty out today because I want to sing <laughs> so I started to stop a little and when I think back on that I think oh you know and yeah you know but I still it didn't stop me from loving dogs it's just you've got phases going through your life when you're a kid and you're growing and you know and a teenager growing and you start noticing other things in your life like boys and and, uh, the real enjoyment of food and (laughs) and, and alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) Did, Did you ever weave dogs into your music at all? Do you know what? I haven't yet. And I'm going to now. I've got, I've got to do a dog song because one, one of the best dog songs I remember, and I don't know if you remember 
Gilbert O'Sullivan, not Gilbert and Sullivan, the musical people, but no, over in England, no. there was a guy called Gilbert O'Sullivan and he had a dog. Uh, oh, what has it go, the song? <laughs> oh, t- told you once before and I won't tell you no more, but get down, get down, get down. <laughs> You're a bad dog, baby. And I still want you around, around. Anyway, it's one of these jolly, lovely songs. And we used to love that when that came on, you know. And I heard it recently and it really picked me up and took me back to those days when I used to walk Misty and my friend's dog, Cora. But, you know, I think I've got to do something with a dog in it now. I've got to pay that that sort of, um, that thanks back to all the joy they've given me and that jeering up they've given me. Well, Misty would probably be, would love it. If you included a yeah, yeah, should hear it. <laughs> you'd hear it. You'd hear it. Yeah. Let me let me ask you. I mean, obviously, music has has changed quite a bit. But do you do you think that it's tougher for an artist right now to get exposure and to ha- be successful with all the, uh, the the way that it's it's not just getting played on the radio or hitting a concert. So you have the you have the monetary issue where you know how do you compensate artists, but also just get exposure and be successful. Yeah, yeah. Um, the most important thing is to be playing live, really, and also for your band to be have good business heads. And the bands that have got really good business heads do move on very quickly um, by comparison. And it's not so it's not just about the music. Of course, that's very, very, very important. But it is about having a good business head. And it has shifted because in my early day, it was about getting a record deal or it was about getting taken on by a, um, a company, a, a management company. Now it's shifted. So absolutely anybody can publish themselves as we're learning. However, you have to learn the new skills of that as well. So you can do it. It has cut out a lot of, um, when I say I did have a great time in the music business of my former years, there was always those issues there with the sharks out there. And, um, that, you know, that would take 70 or 90% of your earnings or whatever it, I don't know what it is now, but you get a, well, if you've got a publisher, I mean, obviously they would do a lot of work to, to, to deal with all your stuff, but you'd have to let go of 70%, you know, um, that I, I was offered different deals and I just didn't sign, but I didn't also have good management to represent me at those times to say, you know what, that's 20% of something when you've got nothing being collected. So there's a, there's a lot of things that I've got to sort out, um, in that now that I'm beginning to understand further is it's it's a really murky messy very gray business in the music business it's a very different business to any other business in the way that it that it operates in the past but the interesting thing of what you're saying and talking about the question you've asked I've been looking at a um, place over here in Australia called Inside Out there's different places called Inside Out but here they give seminars and they give understandings about where the music business has shifted now and how it's working working and they were basically saying in this forum you know what we they they flushed out the bad guys now the ones that are just there to make money off your back you don't find that in there in the same way as you once did I'm sure it's I'm not saying it's completely gone but in the way that it was rife it's been so flushed out and most of the people getting deals these days are the people that are already big hugely famous that they're still kept there okay and 
most of the ones that are coming up now are having to do a lot of their own groundwork first to prove themselves before they would be looked after a company that would be a trusted company to do that. So it's really shifting. Like I'm going online and seeing it's all been done online now. I can, uh, you know, I'm looking into Taylor Swift's manager, for example. He's out there doing online managing for people. That's just an example. So he was her manager. That's Rick Barker. And there's other people out there doing that now, but these people have to really talk about where it's at now, what you do need to do for yourself, where you do need to bring it to before a manager, before you're ready for a manager. So it has completely shifted and it's shifted for the better. However, you have to obviously be, keep with this new world and the new technology. So that's been, um, as you will know, Jeff, a very big eye opener for me. Yes. <laughs> and I've got a journey to go on this one. It, it's, it's tough, but it's opened my eyes to it as well, that we can actually we can possibly cut out the middleman, yes. the one that was taking most of it, and you never knowing where you are. And even if you need to build a bit of a team around you and have, you know, you have to have somebody on your payroll to help with the, the amount of work, you can be the one that's in charge at the end of the day and not have that taken away from you. So that's what's possible now. And uh, that's what's really happening out there. Wow. Wow. Now you're working on some songs, aren't you? Yes, I've been working on songs for the last couple of years, three or four years now. Yeah, on and off. In between taking a degree and in between going straight onto this course. So, yes, yes. When do you think they'll be ready to be introduced to your fans? Well, you know what? There's some already, but I'm really realizing now about building up these platforms before just releasing anything. Yes. And, and, Try to, you know, it, there's still a lot more to understand. Of course, I could just let one go. Yeah. But, um, and it's about, it is about being prolific and letting them out there and letting them out and let them out there. But I'm, it's taken me such a long time to have this full, fuller realization. I'm thinking, I'm just going to have a little bit more patience and find out a little bit more until I've really got something to set this on so people can find it easily. So it doesn't just go and dwindle. And um, so, there's a bit more to learn about how that works yet. But um, once we get to the end of this course, and of course it's still going to be busy, I'm looking forward to getting back into the studio. I've got songs waiting to go there. I've got a fantastic producer that I love working with over here. It took me a while to find the right person for me. And he's wonderful to work with. So I can't wait to get back and do more. And then eventually with all this stuff, um, let them go. You know, it'd be brilliant. Oh, that's fantastic. I'm sure your fans would love to... I'd love to have you come back and, and see yeah. that maybe you'll tour again. That I Yeah, think who knows? <laughs> fantastic. There's a story that you, you mentioned about dolphins. Right, yes. And I would love, you know, that's so unusual. Um, I would love to hear you talk about the opportunity to swim with dolphins. Yeah, well, in this case, it obviously, um, well, it was a wild dolphin. And where I come from, in a place called St. Moors in Cornwall, at the very, very southwest of England, um, it's got two coastlines. It's got the um, west coastline where I lived and the north coastline. So the north coastline is the surfing coastline. And where I live is the more gentler rolling hills and uh, coastline. And at one particular point, we had this dolphin. We've seen dolphins before. They're not... um, uh, but this particular one was really coming right in and people wake up the next, the fishermen would wake up the next day to go down to get their fishing boats and they were gone. 
and they would take the dolphin would have taken them up the river this was a huge dolphin by the way massive and much bigger than the ones i've seen over here you know and um it would do all these fun things you know but obviously for the fishermen it was a bit of a job (laughs) needing to find their boats and whatever so that happened a few times so this dolphin became well known and it would come in and out, but we were all swimming in the harbour because this is a, it's a very beautiful fishing village where I come from. And it's got a beautiful little harbour, tiny little place. We're all swimming in the harbour. And they cry out, it's Beaky, the dolphin's coming, quick. It's Don-. It was called Beaky and Donald. So everyone's clamming to get out of the water. And I'm thinking, well, no. I'm not getting out of the water. I'm going to go and meet it. <laughs> and so I start swimming out and I, I see it coming in. And then for a moment, I just stop and think, oh, um, what if it's a shark? You know, just in this instance. Yes. And it was just a sudden second of like, Ugh. well, and then all of a sudden, just within that thought, this thing blocked up right like that there with its beak. And, you know, its body was obviously length down in the water. Yes. And it was just there making these gorgeous dolphin noises and I was just there and it was there like it was like oh hi (laughs) and it was just making those gorgeous noises like they do like (laughs) like that and I knew in that absolute second that I was completely safe it was just completely beautiful and it was there swimming around and it just um went around me and went down I thought oh where's it gone it came back again and all of a sudden it just seemed to offer its fin it seemed to come up. So I just grabbed hold of the fin and off I went oh, <laughs> around wow. the harbour, holding onto a fin, waving to everyone around the sea. <laughs> how long did you take the ride? <laughs> Pardon? How long did you take the ride? Was it for? Not, not very long because when, when Beaky decided to go down, he decided to go down. I couldn't hold on. It was like the pressure of the water. Yes. But it, it came around again. She came, he came around again and I went again and I managed to hold on and be aware that it was com- probably coming and go under a bit that time. Oh. And, uh, you know, have that feeling of going under, but couldn't hold on for very long. Very fast and powerful. A massive, massive dolphin. And, um, and then it started getting very playful. You know, when they go up and they flip and they, yes. it just started doing all that in the harbour. Wow. Everyone was there with their little rowing boats and became a little bit scary. So I thought, oh, it could flip me without realising. But then it was just, you know, it was the most beautiful thing. And I think I must have been in the water with it for about... I don't know, half an hour, 20, 20 minutes, half an hour. I can't remember. I, I can't remember really. But it was just like the most joyous realization of complete intelligence beyond, beyond. You just know something. You just absolutely know you've been in the presence of something so majestic, so intelligent from another world, but yet it understands we breathe. Yes. It understands yes. we need to come to the surface like it does also. Yes. It understands fun, play, care, I think, as well. And um, just love the joy of it, you know. And uh, it, was, it was just beautiful. And um, it touched me in a way that was also quite difficult because after that, a few days later... Uh, my next door neighbor's phone went because we didn't have a phone in those days but my next door neighbor did <laughs> oh Tracy the dolphins in the village oh I'm running down the hill you know I didn't care about the two barking dogs on the hill then I didn't give a 
crap, I was gone. <laughs> and because um, I, I don't know if I said about the two barking dogs on the hill as you ran back down past the Catholic Church, they were really a bit evil. <laughs> and um, well, they weren't evil, they were just protecting, but they were scary. And uh, excuse me, I realised I didn't turn my phone off. Oh, that's and, <laughs> and I went running down, but this was a really grey day. This wasn't that fine sunny day with the harbour full and all the boats and all the people. This was the tide was right out. It was a bit grey and murky, but the dolphin was there. So I had to walk right back to the bottom of the beach and um, just swim out. And it was grey and murky. It's where all the gravelly part of the, the water, where, of the sand was. And just swam out. And he was just completely still, offering his back. And I just climbed on the back of him and I just lay on him. I, again, I don't know for how long. But this time I could really see in the stillness all the war wounds all the scars, all the battle wounds over his body um, that he was showing, you know? And it was just like, what? I don't know how, how, how old he must have been or how long they lived for um, in, in this particular case with this species, which was a bottlenose dolphin. But he'd been in some definite fights and some, had some definite stuff happen. You know, whether it was his own causing with sharks or whatever, who knows? And I just lay there and he was offering nothing. There was no play. There was nothing. It was just allowing me to be there, just holding on top of him and just going around him and looking at him and swinging around and coming back again. He wasn't moving. And I thought, I know, this is goodbye. This oh. is just goodbye, you know? So after however long I was on him for, about, probably about another half an hour out there, um, uh, I swam in and I just looked back. I thought, it's goodbye, bye. And, and I saw him go out and go and it was like, oh. And I had this incredible depression come upon me on and off for a long time. And I think it wasn't just because it was goodbye. I think it was just contacting this other world, this other place, this other space, this other realisation and understanding of which I can't even explain just being touched like that. And uh, yeah, it was just, and years and years later, years and years later, of course I've thought about the story many times in dolphins and I never rode a wild dolphin again after that. I've written ones that are in Teng, but um, uh, in pens and things, but um, years and years later, I decided to do fire walking as a kind of like to, again, just open up and broaden the mind and all that, all that sort of stuff and glass walking. And the funny thing was when we sat down, they said, you have to prepare yourself to do this. We have to go into these states of, you know, um, um, uh, being meditative just to prepare yourself. So when you walk on the fire, you're very calm. And, you know, because you're going to walk about six steps on burning coals and we don't want you to feel it. So we did this meditative, meditative stuff and I could really feel the zone of it coming in. They said, now watch your spirit animal. Bang, beaky, right there. And it was like that all came back and my hair was stood on end and I was ready to go on that fire. And I just walked that fire. Um, it, it was still scary, but it was like you knew you had the aid, you know. And so I walked that fire and I, I did thought, wow, it, it allows you to let go of so much stuff. And I could let go of whatever that I thought was depression of having to say goodbye or whatever it was, or whatever the pain of that, that beautiful being was, or whatever it was in me, it was able to let that go. And I felt that. 
And that was just tremendous. And so, yeah, it kind of brought it full circle. Wow. Um, wow. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm speechless. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Um, do you have any pets now, Tracy? Well, we don't have pets now, but that's in the planning. Well, I do, actually. It's called Peter, not Dave. <laughs> <laughs> he needs watering, he needs feeding, and he needs telling what to be doing. <laughs> and vice versa, of course, yeah. But um, we've talked about this so much. The loss of his dogs. He says, I can't go through that at this point. We've got so much on. And I thought my excuses have always been to not have a dog is I've got so much on. I'm traveling. I'm touring with a band. We're flying to this country or we're going on bus tour at that country. We're on this train, we're on that train. You know, it is a baby. It is a baby. And I start to realize now from doing this program, it's also resistance as well. There's a bit of resistance in there. So We've kind of said, look, you know, we'll get over the hub of what we're doing. We'll have it working really well and we'll really revisit it again. But Peter says kind of like in a retirement, I said, well, retirement, gosh, that's another 20 years away. I'm not waiting 20 years. So, um, no, so I have, I have my pet Peter, <laughs> Dave, um, but uh, I get my joy I do go down to the beach and I absolutely just stand here when I want fresh air. I walk down to the beach and I absolutely adore watching the dogs on doggy beach. It's at the lagoon. And it's absolutely gorgeous there. And it's a particular side of it that the dogs are allowed and they are just having the greatest time. They are. And I love it. And I wa love watching them going um, paddle boardings. Um, yes. and the dogs on there loving it they're loving it they're having a great time and the ones that aren't so new to it a bit fear you know you see all these different things going on you I keep revisiting so I see them get used to it and it's the same dogs you know and some new dogs but that's kind of a local beach if you like so they're just having the time of their life swimming because it's so hot over here and it's so good and I love it yeah really do really love it so I know we'll have one one day that's, uh, I love, you know, when I interviewed Peter, he said the same thing. He said, you know, it's, it would be tough because of the traveling right now, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think he'd enjoy it. Uh, he'd enjoy it as well. Well, yes. Tracy, thank you. I, I'm sure your fans love this and, and the stories, uh, particularly about the dolphin. And um, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you um, being on this podcast. And I hope when certainly before, even before you launch these songs, you'll come back because I think this, these stories are unbelievable. Um, but certainly when, you, when you're ready to launch these songs, you've got to come back, because that will be, okay, will sure. be your return. It will be amazing. So, I'd love to. I'd love to. I'd love to talk more about dogs as well. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much. And um, uh, for the people listening, that's uh, Tracy Hitchings. Um, do you have a, a, a place you can send them? Is there a website or something? Or you yes. Um, at, at this moment right now, if anybody would like to contact at all, it is Tracy Hitchings Music at Yahoo. No, no, that one's finished. Tracy Hitchings Music at gmail.com at the moment. But there is going to be a website and there is going to be hopefully in not too distant a future um, uh, other, other sites and landing pages where people can go. So uh, like a YouTube, for example. So that will all come with the, in time. 
Yes. That's, that's great. Well, I can tell you, you know, your YouTube and doing research, your YouTube um, songs, I mean, people are still, you know, huge fans. Um, oh. You know, tens of thousands. You know, I've watched videos where it's tens, tens and tens of, of thousands of views. So I know they're waiting for, um, for you to return. Oh, so. Well, I do hope so. It'd be nice if some of them were still there, so it'd be good. Oh, I think, <laughs> yes. I think, I think they're there, and I think they're going to be there for a very, very long time. So um, so that's great. Thank you. And for people listening, uh, for my dog, Brandy, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and uh, leave a review, and that would be uh, that would be great. So, Tracy, thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome, Jeff. And, and just in case people do want to check out what I have done in the past. Yes. Sorry, this was just rather random thought at the moment, because sometimes people might think, you know, you can go on YouTube. But the band I was in for 20 odd years was called Landmark and it's Landmark.net and it's Landmark with a Q dot net and um even though i'm not in that band anymore they have some history in there on me and um just for anybody that might be curious you know as well as other stuff that's just on youtube for example so just thought i'd put that one in (laughs) no that's great and when we post this we'll make sure we hashtag obviously hashtag you but we'll also make sure we hashtag landmark so if they're searching for landmark they'll find they'll find this and all the um all the information about you yeah Cool. Thank you, Jeff. It's been great. 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 Thanks, Tracy. Okay, darling. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye now.